Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have Chris Wilson on the show, who is also known as the Stress Scientist. So Chris's background in coaching and mentoring packs a mean punch when it comes to working with elite performers. This covers the military, elite sports, performing arts, and what he calls corporate athletes. Spending the early part of his career developing future leaders, Chris identified that a necessary part of the success plan is to improve the individual's performance capacity. And this can be achieved by adapting the individual's capacity in three key areas. This being the physical, the mental, and the emotional. So Chris works with these leaders to help them develop these three components and reduce the risk of burnout. So now more than ever, we are seeing that leaders in the business world are dealing with the constant cognitive fog and the feeling of Groundhog Day that can no longer be accepted as the new norm. This is why Chris built an accelerator program that supports all of us that go all in and those who are true candidates that face the risk of burnout. In this episode, Chris and I touch on his journey from arriving to Australia from the UK and setting up his first business in his backyard to his current work and mission of helping people see the early warning signs and to avoid burnout. Chris shares with us in this podcast his research and findings around what is burnout, is productivity related to stress, is there a correlation between burnout and the need to please, COVID and the stress burnout that is associated with that, the stress challenges of working from home and then also returning to work, and some of the tips and tricks on how to manage and avoid burnout. If you love the episode, which I know you will, and you want to hear more episodes of some wonderful leaders and experts in their field, then be sure to push that subscribe button and check out our weekly podcasts. If you'd love to get in contact with me, feel free to do so at any time at admin at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at synergyiq.com.au and find us on all the social media outlets. Welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we've got Mr. Chris Wilson on the show, the stress scientist. Welcome to the show, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to learn a little bit about you to start off with. Stress scientist, it's a pretty unique term. It is. It's... um... It's a term that I've um, I grabbed hold of when someone said it to me, actually over a beer. Oh yeah, nice. because uh, no I'll, better way. To no, start well, <laughs> all the great <laughs> ideas, surely. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a matter of me explaining what I do because this whole horrible question of what is it you do? Yeah, and I was doing research in the UK. We were looking at stress and immune markers to look at multi-stressor environments. So, you know is the athlete at risk or does it impact performance? And so when I brought it over here, I now set up a business called iPro, which stands for Individual Profiling, and we were mapping athletes and and working with the military. And then they said, oh, you're a stress scientist. And I was like, no, not really. And then it just went. And and then the business started and and everything started from there. Yeah. So do you have a PhD 
in anything or is it just sort of a play on words with this? Yeah. I let mine go. Yeah. I, I'd lined up a PhD um, in the UK and then, oh, there's a backstory there. So uh, I was a full time, I was in full time education, but I was a full time teacher. Yeah. We just had a new baby, uh, Isla. And oh, that's my daughter's name. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Great names. Great yeah. lives. Great minds. Thank Jeez, you. Right? man. What can we <laughs> the, say? Uh, kids' names. Good start to the podcast. We should have married each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what happened there was uh, we were both tired. Yeah. And so I'd, we'd both been around Australia together. I said, why don't we go to Australia? Because, you know, I get six weeks off for holidays. And we come over here and someone offered sponsorship. And I was oh, like, no, no, not for me, thanks. I'm all lined up. I'm good. What, what's, what, what's sponsorship look like in that respect? Why would someone say, stay over here? Yeah, so. If you're on a holiday. Like, yeah, um, well, I knew people here. Okay. I was setting up franchises and stuff last okay. time I was here. And my wife has been 20 plus years as a trainer in real estate. Okay. And so that's why we ended up down on the coast. Yeah. And, and Kate works for the blue team. We call them those. Yeah, there you go. Excellent. So you've you've come over to Australia, set up a couple, set up a business, mm. and tell us how you became obsessed with stress. Like, what is it about stress that ticks all the boxes for you? Mm. What I had to set up a logistics business because we're in a regional town in South Australia. There wasn't. No, I was. I'm from an education background, mm. so I was looking for work in mm. education. And then I realized pretty quick that Kate being the main sponsor was the full-time worker. Mm-hmm. And so I had to find work around looking after Isla, which mm-hmm. was, you know, she was 18 months when we come over. And so I set up a logistics business from the back of my house down in, in, the, in the Florio. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I, I'm setting up distribution channels to universities and to um, sporting clubs and, and what have you. And then all of a sudden, the, um, a few consultants started to reach out and said, hey, you can map stress. You can quantify stress. I was like, yep, yep. We use biomarkers in the body and we can set up cortisol profiles and IGA, which is your first line defense immune system. And uh, they said, hey, can, you, can we use that? Let me get that right. So they said, can we use that? I was like, yeah, Kush can. So I set up this whole relationship. I went, it's great, but we don't really know what the data means. Okay, let me talk you through that. And in the end, it was, why don't you just come in and talk to our clients about the data? And that is how I got into corporate world. There you go. Mm. And so what is it that you do now for businesses and help them out? Mm. So the term I use is stress mapping. So we're we're trying to identify risk, Mm. risk to the individual and then risk to the business. And there's costs associated with that. I purposely, the language I use is all performance-based mm-hmm. because when I was getting drawn into these conversations around stress, mental health, Chris, we've got problems in our teams, and that's not me. Yeah. There are specialists, counsellors, there's beautiful people out there that support teams and individuals in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really need to focus on how we can use these markers to look at capacity and performance. Excellent. Mm. So what were you doing with the sporting teams and the military at that time? Yeah, so in sport, we look at something called um, readiness to train. And we can use the biomarkers to be able to identify from a physiological point of view whether you're you're overtraining. So if we're overloading an athlete, we'll see physiological regression in your 
um, biomarkers. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, this way. Uh, and that means we can identify and then regress the training load. So you can imagine that we map out a training program for teams and then the whole team follows that program. Where we found was this, there was a lack of interdisciplinary approach to, you know, is the nutritionist talking to the physiologist, is talking to the performance coach? And how do we individualize the training load mm. um, so we don't, well, we reduce the risk of injury? Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So that, like, I think what's going through my head is that there's so many different versions of stress, isn't there? I mean, stress is just to put something under pressure. Mm. Um, well, I don't know the exact terminology or the dictionary meaning, oh, but I, I think like put something under stress means it's under some sort, some sort of pressure. Uh, you also are specializing in, in the burnout and obviously the risk of burnout, mm. given that our listener base is, a, is a, of the corporate world. Mm. Can we dive, deep dive into like what is the actual definition of burnout? Yeah. So if we talked about the World Health WHO, yeah. they talk about it, a, a chronic um, stress load, a workplace stress, which is so broad mm. and difficult to manage. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? And you know, let's, we'll go into COVID, I'm sure. And working from home. But right now, that term alone means that, well, our stress is mainly from work, which is simply not true. Yeah. We've got environmental stress. We've got physical, mental, and emotional stress. You know, we've got stresses that impact uh, our physiology. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not just because of work. And so there's there's one conversation around what is the, the current use of a term for burnout? And then what is it? Yeah. So in my terms, we say, well, burnout, you've run out of resources to be able to cope with demand. Mm. Now, those resources are anywhere from your physical, mental, and emotional capacity. Mm. Now, that term, I play in that space because I don't, you know, relationships are difficult. Money problems are difficult. Mm. Work is difficult mm. sometimes. Um, but it's not the only factor. Yeah. And the second part of that conversation, which I'm really trying to struggle with, how I change the language in our space, in, in, if we said corporate in our space, um, is burnout. Mm. You know? Oh, Chris, I'm feeling a little bit burnt out right now. Like, describe to me, what does that mean? Well, I'm just tired in the mornings. I don't have the energy. That's not burnout. Mm. People are self-diagnosing burnout. I'm mm. burnt out right now. No, you're not. No. I have literally seen people who can't face the world. They're, they are running empty. They can't get up in the morning. They're almost hiding under their bedclothes because they, they don't have what it takes to face putting their shoes on in the morning mm. versus someone who is probably overwhelmed but not burnout. How do you get to the point of burnout? Like what, what drives one? Like if you're super busy and potentially unproductive can that lead to stress which leads to burnout like how do you get there or is there so many ways that yeah, one can reach there it is it, there's um how do we get to burnout is we ignore our signs mm. uh, early warning signs are a broad term again we look at physical mental and emotional early warning signs how do you know you're getting stressed and then we look at drivers beyond that so chris i can't stop working i need the money versus 
look, I really need to please my boss because you know they're putting a lot of pressure on me. All these factors means that we ignore the signs that we're struggling and we keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And we've got, you know, we're humans. We can override. It doesn't matter. I don't need to do that. It's okay. And then before we know it, we've gone so far down the rabbit hole, it takes a long time to get back on track. Mm. That's as an, as an individual. Now look at the impact that will have on our relationships, um, our self-care. So what tends to happen as we go down on these lines is we, you know, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have the energy to exercise. Um, I haven't got time to see my kids because my kids are in bed, so I'm, I'm losing the emotional side of that. All the way to I don't have time to eat. I'm too busy. Now, when people are listening to this, they're going, what a ridiculous thing to say. I was talking to someone the other day, and we're taking food supplements so we don't have to eat. And then we're taking supplements to keep us awake so we can get more work done. And, and it's, it's not uncommon. No. And that's how we burn out. What happens to the body in the burnout process? Like, you know, when you say we're, we're depleted of resources mm. um, and people can't get out of bed, mm. is it? Is it like a reoccurring thing? I mean, there's a little bit of rest fixer. Like, you know, mm. I, I guess there's so many questions to come out of that one I know. thing. <laughs> Let me get, if I, if I go with that. So um, you're depleting resources. When I say resources, let's go for um, how the body will prioritize. Mm. Now, we can, if I said to you cortisol steel, cortisol's primary role in the body is to mobilize energy um, without people getting flashbacks of high school. So we got this yeah. we got this sympathetic nervous system and this parasympathetic. One accelerates, one decelerates. Now the accelerated response, adrenaline and cortisol, their main role is to mobilize to fight or flight. I need energy to move fast. I need an immune system that's going to be able to fight infection if I get injured or, you know, in the fight. Now what tends to happen is we prioritize it's a survival instinct, so we prioritize it. I will push all my resources towards my survival instinct because it's survival. Mm. If when I'm doing keynotes or when I'm speaking to large groups of people, I talk about um, why. I'll just say it. So, if you were to own a pair of testicles, <laughs> I, I own them. No, you don't have to have them on your body. Um, there's a few of us. Yeah, that's it. Well, I don't own mine. <laughs> anyway. So if you were to own a pair of testicles and you remain in what we call a high chronic stress state, you'll, you can lose up to 30% size in your testicles. Yeah, well. Because why would my body allocate resources for long-term planning? Why would I talk about keeping my gene pool alive mm. when I need to get through the next 24 or 48 hours? Mm. So what I end up doing is I steal resources from that long-term planning, disease-fighting, I don't know, um, gene pool, yeah. keeping my yep. family heritage alive. Yeah. Uh, and I allocate it to getting through uh, enough energy, high spikes in immune system, and um, getting high function in the brain. So it's a short-term plan. Mm. And so I'll allocate all these resources. I won't have adequate resources for other factors, and that's when we see the drop. Emotional regulation starts to drop. Executive cognitive function starts to drop. 
And then by the time we know it, we're in debt. Mm. And that debt takes a long time to pay back. Mm. I think that answers your question. It absolutely does. <laughs> the, I guess what's going through my head is, is it one of those things that keeps reoccurring? Like if, you, uh, if you're prone to stress and burnout, like is it? You get it once and like chicken pox, it doesn't come back. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, actually, it's, it's we would classify burnout as trauma. Yeah, wow. And so, if you were to experience burnout, then there is a high, there's a high chance that it will come back quicker and bigger than last time. You know, the shutdown of your systems in the body is pure defense, mm. like a forced reset. I can't keep going on like this, I'm going to shut the body down. Um, and, you know, we create memory and there is a fear that we go back down to that place mm. and the body will stop that quicker. So the idea is, you know, what do we do with people who suffer from burnout? It's a long journey. My purpose in life is to stop people from getting to that point. Mm. That is it. Do you, when you, so if we're going to draw this back to businesses, right? Do you, and this might seem a really uh, sort of a bit of a dead end question, but do businesses need to almost do their background research on someone before they hire them? Ooh, okay. To see whether they are susceptible to burnout or not. I mean, if you're, because you, I think if we go down the path of having so many, um, if you're saying there's so many other ways, like it's not just work-related, like whose description of stress is it's a work-related, but yet someone's having money problems, therefore they're stressed about being able to pay their bills and their mortgage and put food on the table, therefore they come to work and they bring that that angst mm. to their workplace, mm. then, you know, it, it's a very, very thin thread that, could be snapped at any moment by a leader who says something the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Is that that that's a concern for businesses in in the whole product? This is just one big <laughs> it's bubbling boiling yeah, pot. Yeah. I, yeah, it's a boiling pot. Of- so, I I don't know where to start with that question. Yeah. To be honest with you, <laughs> it's, I don't know even know if it was a question. Yeah, it was. I think there's so much going on in that space. Is that businesses are responsible for people who have stress, but yeah, they're their home life could, like you just mentioned, could Mm. have so much more. It's never one thing. Yeah. People want to know what it is. Is it the blue pill or the red pill? Yeah. And it's not. It's an accumulation of. So um, people can make poor choices in their financial decisions and put themselves in a lot of stress. Um, Oh, no, let's talk about COVID. So we base our financial decisions upon our current situation, then COVID comes along and now I've got no income. I've Mm. got no, you know, there's stress there. The thing is, what I'm trying to tackle, so when I go into organizations and corporations and they go, creating a new arm to the business, so we can map stress across workforces now using cloud and and IoT and what have you. So um, people say, I don't want to know. I don't want to know if my, the stress levels of my workforce because I'm, I'm liable from an insurance point of view. Yeah. Okay, that's one conversation. So 
you know, is the corporation at risk? Uh, the second one is, so what impact is that having on your business? Because you don't know. Mm. We, you know, we all know about productivity and engagement, um, customer relations. Okay, a critical decision-making from your leaders, customer experience. We can go anywhere you like with this. Um, High-stress environments with high-risk environments. So if people are highly stressed and they're working in, I don't know, construction or flying planes or driving buses, then why wouldn't you want to know? Mm. And so if I was to say, I don't like it, but in my brain I always play with, oh, I need that person to be their whole self. But I'm not just a worker. I'm not just a, a CEO or a, an exec level. I'm a dad. I'm a, you know, me personally. I'm a brother and my husband. I'm all those things. Now, Work is a major factor in all of our lives. Mm. It's a lot of time in our day and it takes a lot of resources to be able to be good at it. And so I, this whole disconnect between, well, home life is home life and work life is work life, that's completely gone. No. It's not real anymore. No. Um, that's not even just talking about hybrid and working from home. I'm talking about the fact that now we've got a social responsibility to go, Right, how do we look after our people? You're not, you're not employees anymore. You're people and you're part of our teams. Well, I, I can keep going. So we, you keep going because right. this is important information, right? Okay, so then we start to look at well, what's going on right now in Australia. We've got talent shortage and the cost to businesses right now because they can't fulfill roles. They can't deliver on customer promises. Mm. You know, we've got... We're waiting on projects, but we can't find people to come in. So we're overstretching our current people to get the work done. And the risk of burnout in these people is so high because we've got this lack of talent pool. Mm. So why don't you just look after the people you've got? Why don't we figure this out rather than burning them out and trying to replace? Mm. Because we don't have this never-ending pool of talent out there. Not to mention the great resignation, right? Oh, that, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's just another whole... So, um, I understand we're flipping. So yeah, I put but this a, is good. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> There's a path here, people. Yeah. <laughs> right now, we're talking about the great resignation. And yeah. um, I'm talking to CEOs that are going, Chris, look, we're overstretched because we're going through growth. It's a great time for our industry, but we can't find a talent. Mm. So, what's happening now is they're going, well, because they're stressed, and they're overwhelmed at risk of burnout, they're starting to look elsewhere. Hey, look, company B across the road is having a great time. They're doing really well. Everyone's smiling. I think I'm going to go across the road. Oh, and by the way, I'm probably going to get a 15 grand pay rise for the same position because right now they're paying more to attract the talent. So they go across the road, they put 15 grand in their pocket, but it's the same. Mm. And we've got this unsustainable salary rise going on right now to try and hold on to talent because they think money's the answer mm. and it's not no and so this great res resignation is okay we're coming out of this bubble we need to create some sort of movement and some fulfillment and joy and we think that moving somewhere and life's too short and it's all going to answer all the questions so there'll be a settling period after the great resignation if it happens um I'm curious to see the human element of, I'm just really glad I got a job. Mm. I'm just really glad I'm employed right now and 
and we'll see who the great leaders were through this unprecedented time mm. to see who holds on to their talent. What's the settling period look like? Like, what do you? Um, that's different for different people mm. and different markets. So, tourism, hospitality, mm. they've been stuttering along for a, far too long. And I hope they come out the gates and absolutely go gangbuster. Yeah. But I don't know where they're going to get their people from. Um, there are other industries like construction in certain states that have been, again, held back can't logistically can't get supplies to be able to deliver so they're you know they've got pipelines of work lined up which is fantastic for any business but again they're being held back Mm. um uh, i was speaking to someone in it oh my god yeah the growth in that area is phenomenal. They're, they're, that's the fifteen grand area that you're talking about. Sometimes it, it actually was, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, there's a, and he's probably going to be listening to this podcast. I, um, I know of someone who lost someone in his team. Director lost someone in his team. That's um, Santos, a big one of the big, obviously, uh, uh, gas companies offered this person to come into their IT team to lead their IT team for seventy thousand dollars more. Seventy thousand dollars yeah how do you compete with that as you, a small business you can't you can't but how sustainable is it well that's right and the fear is always the smaller businesses mm. how are they going to survive yeah. so we've got we're in a startup capital yeah um we we really want these companies to go through huge growth but with no talent yeah that if that's not a cocktail for burnout i don't know what it is and so this is where em- employee value proposition comes in you offer a whole bunch of different things but do you feel that offering the stress work that you do, and we're getting there, right? We're getting to that. that we're, <laughs> we're back. We're back. <laughs> the, um, the, the work that you do and offering that to the businesses, do you feel that's part of that employee value proposition? Do you, who do you feel that benefits more, the business or the employer? Great question. Yeah. Mm. So as we gather data, well, I work for the individual but I get paid by the corporation mm. or the organization. And so I have to add value to both. Mm. My whole thing, if you look at my profile, my history, it's all about working with individuals mm-hmm. to look at um, how we support them. So I need to raise the self-awareness of the individual and give them tools that they can tap into to, to manage themselves. Yep. In the same breath, I need to give data sets and value to the organization so they can make informed business decisions, such as you're at a breaking point with team A and team B. Now, what the business decides to do about that, well, it depends on the size of the business, the money pot, everything else that goes in with that conversation, but I need to be able to create value and insights for organizations so they can see the current state and also over time predict where breaking points might turn up within their organization okay we can see that at this certain point during this certain level of transaction they're at a stretch mm. you know i don't know hr's having a great time over there yeah they're trying to put out fires health and safety are over there trying to put out fires sales are going through the roof operations mm. are collapsing that's a that's a horrible cocktail to have yeah. in business yeah and so when with the new arm of the business that we're creating, we're, we're able to use medical grade technology to be able to 
use camera tech to now look at mapping stress for individuals where we can now send you you know almost risk stratification protocols to say hey how are you looking after yourself what's going on for you right now we're trying to support the individual um and i'm that's the side of the business now that i'm really pushing into yeah is that okay we've got lots of different tools we can use but we always rely on the organization to give us fruit bowls or come up with the solution we need yeah and i've done it so i used to be pulled into large organizations hey chris talk to us about stress and you've got two hours and then you go in you deliver two hours and then you walk out the front door and that's it and everyone's stress-free that's it. <laughs> Solve. Well done, Chris Wilson. We'll, we'll dive into that. But I really want to go back to the tools that you said that you give these these people. Um, and it's not the fruit bowls. I mean, we, and I think we oh. should really we should <laughs> yeah, I mean it can be. I mean, food will definitely obviously have an element. Exactly. Right. Uh, um I, I, I kind of want to go down to like a scenario time, so to speak, and then we can talk about the tools for those individuals. So scenario is I've got two employees. Both doing the exact same work. Uh, one, they're both very, very busy individuals. Obviously, with the shortage of talent, they're both overwhelmed with work. Um, however, one manage one of these people manages to get through, go to bed each night, have a wine, come back the next morning, mm. and they, they they get on with it. I guess if that's the right way of uh, of saying it. Mm. Person number two goes completely opposite direction and they go down the burnout path. Mm. How do I as a leader manage that situation when it's clearly, well, in my head, it's clearly not the work because one person's fine, the second person isn't. Mm. Does it then start, is it purely, like, what do I do? Where do I I go? That's right. Yeah. So, what we're unraveling here is the complexity yeah. of the individual is the hardest issue to solve. Yeah. So if I was to take um, confidence, mm-hmm. let's take that. Um, confidence is situational. Mm. So we've got people who are confident in certain scenarios and, and confident in, are less confident in others. And so we can boost someone's confidence but only in certain scenarios. And then there's mastery and everything else that comes in with raising confidence. So that's just one thing. If we take the complexity of stress and burnout and what people's triggers are, well, here's, I'm going to throw a curveball at myself here. Why is it the organization's responsibility to solve that for the individual? I think this is kind of where I was going to end up. Yeah. Is that it seems almost unfair that someone can bring their their personal life into a work scenario? I know you're saying they are blended now, and I absolutely agree. But the stress, and I think this comes back to you know the, the extra weight that the leader puts on could break the you know mm. is this is the piece of straw that broke the camel's back, mm. right? Well, okay. From a, so it's my as a leader. Um, it's my responsibility to run this 30 person team and I'm supposed to know every one of those people intricately and know when they're not feeling good and when they're feeling great. That's, that's, that's impossible. It's impossible. Unless I'm having, you know, one-on-one meetings every other day with these people, how can I track that? Mm. And, but and even then, if you're not great at reading signs. 
Well, then you got like IQ, EQ, yeah, yeah everything else right. that goes with it. Exactly. Um, and by the way, I've got, I've still got a 40 hour a week job to do yeah. as well as lead the team. That's often, I don't have someone sitting in an office going, hey, my job is to make sure that everyone's okay. Mm. Often what we'll find is, unfortunately, it's palmed off to HR. Mm. Um, and so I lead the team from a performance base where it's systems, process and KPIs, but any soft I was going to swear then, and it's that soft, fluffy stuff. Yeah. You need to go and speak to HR. Yeah. And there's the disconnect right there. Yeah. And then if I show them that I'm not as good as, you know, we're both doing the same job, we're both on the same salary. If I show weakness, well, then I'm at risk. I'm at risk from a mental, oh, I shouldn't, but I'm at risk of being ostracized because I'm not good enough and I won't fit in with the group. I'm also at risk of losing my security, finance. So I'll tell you what I do, I just crack on mm. and I won't tell anyone. And we've got this horrible cocktail. We are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to tackle stress and the numbers aren't getting any better. Mm. It's not working. The fruit bowl is one tool. I've got very beautiful friends who are mindfulness coaches, breathwork coaches, resilience coaches, grit gurus. Mm. You know, they're all tools they're all one piece of a very complex puzzle i agree i've often said this uh like this is something i often speak about and i'm pretty passionate about that if you are going to rely on purely the learnings you get through the work environment um then you're really putting a limit on your ability and potential i think that if you well, I know that if you are investing time into yourself, mm. whether it is through yoga and mm. breathing and mindfulness and mm. or reading a book on time management or reading a book on stoicism or philosophy or whatever it might be, mm. you are improving your thought process, you mm. are improving your perspective, you are improving your attitude, your behavior, you have to do that outside of the work environment. You have to put time and effort into yourself mm. through – and I believe if you do that, then you run or you reduce the chances of being burnt out and stressed because you are more aware. You're, mm. you're able to manage it better. It doesn't say you're never going to get there, but it definitely – I do believe it actually has to have an impact. Yes, exactly right. And so – the whole purpose I'm trying to achieve here is that we can inform people to make decisions for themselves. Mm. I can raise your self-awareness by putting data in front of you. One of the I didn't appreciate what I had with the saliva kits and with the biomarkers because once you quantify it and put it in front of people, you knock down all the BS. Mm. I'm doing fine. Everything's great. Yes, everything's fantastic. But your profile showing me this. Yeah, actually, I'm not sleeping at night. I'm struggling a bit. And you start, they start to unravel. Yeah. So my job is not to tell people how stressed they are. They kind of know that already. Mm. Um, it's to stop them lying to themselves. It's to, it's to take action a lot quicker. Yeah. yeah. When you do those saliva kits, let's use a round number of 100 people, how many, what percentage would be stressed versus… Do you know that's… That's what led me to the next step in my business is that it depends on time of year and it depends on the industry and oh, really? it depends on the position within the organization. 
Okay. And the size of the organization. There's about 15 different questions that come out of that. <laughs> so people think that leaders are more stressed, whereas from a hierarchical point of view, in like from our human makeup, as the lower down the pecking order, the higher the perception of stress. Oh, really? I know. Why is that? Because we're lower down. Yeah. It's an ego thing? Or is it? Not ego. Uh, oh, maybe we use the ego term. So we're mammals that are built in a hierarchical, you know, top dog, alpha male, mm-hmm. need to be top of the tree, matriarch, patriarch, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Our status is determined by our position. Mm. And so even though there's more pressure put on leaders from the organization, um, they're, they're subsidized with much higher pay packets, um, higher status, autonomy, contribution to the organization. All these other factors come into play about how, how we perceive stress. Mm-hmm. That threw a curveball, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Cause it's got me thinking now, does that... So, I, okay, I'm going to ask this, and this might be a very, very naive question. But if you're not productive at your job, hmm. the chances are you're going to be more stressed. Is that a myth? Well, it depends if stress is causing the lack of production or whether it is, I don't know, lack of engagement, disinterest, disconnect. Well, it's the, I think where I was going with that is that it's the, shit, I've got no idea what I'm doing here (laughs) or I'm not efficient as this, this next person who's next to me, hmm. uh, I'm clearly getting away with a lot. Therefore, I put a whole bunch ah, of extra stress. So there's lots of different stuff in yeah. there. One is if you're not as good as the person sitting next to you, what are you doing about that? Yeah, that's true. And if you don't believe that, you know, there's a big stressor inside our own conscious, um, conscience about um, I'm getting paid as much as him, but I know he's better than me mm. or she's actually really good. Um I'm not going to bother though because she'll carry me. Mm. We know it and we get away with it mainly because well, because we can. It's not identified. Mm. And the person who leaves the organization, the person carrying everyone else. Mm. Correct. They, they can't the deal with it. Yeah. yeah I'm sitting here having a great time. So um, you've got, you know, th- this conversation is very broad and many different aspects impact everything. Yeah. Isn't it? But we know there are people in organizations that don't want to do a lot for their dollar. Mm. Okay, is that because they're burnt out and stressed? No. It's because they don't have motivation, drive, willingness, conscientiousness, all those other factors. Mm. And so we're not talking about them. Where burnout comes in is people who are normally conscientious Mm. and um, overreach to please. Mm. I'll give you an example. Go for it. I'm going to risk myself here. Do it. I love it. Um, <laughs> my wife. Uh-oh. No. Because <laughs> put, the, put the podcast on pause, Gabs. <laughs> I'll tell you why. is because she um, there's a lot of pressure on Kate because of the visa. Yep. So she wants to be the perfect employee mm-hmm. because that's security. Yep. She wants to be the perfect agent because she wants to please her vendors. The perfect wife, perfect mother, the perfect friend. So she completely overreaches because her 
characteristics, her personality is to enjoy people loving what she does. Mm. So she overreaches in all aspects. Mm. She's at risk. Mm. She's conscientious. She's agreeable. Yeah. Um, these are people we love in our organizations, but they'll keep giving and we'll keep taking because they're great. The people keep saying yes. Yep. And these people, when they overreach, are normally the ones that will disappear pretty quick. Mm. So, so is the is the answer to to not be conscientious? Like, are they like to avoid burnout? I mean, what what is the answer for those people who are approval seeking? We well, for those, um, it's understanding that we're back to the early warning signs yeah. again. So the. Tr- Understanding that when you've done too much or when you're overreaching, so if we talk about overreaching and then into overwhelm and then into burnout, what we want to be able to do is is in high performance, we need to play on the edge. We're very close to overwhelm and burnout constantly because it's how we achieve and Mm. are successful. It's those people who ignore. So we can go in, we can can push ourselves to a limit. Like there's a deadline coming up. We're all going to go hands on deck. Right now during COVID, a lot of CEOs are asking people to get into the trenches with them. Come on, we've got to fight for this. They're going, yeah, okay, let's go for it. They know they're not sleeping at night. They know they're not looking after themselves. The issue we've got is they've accumulated debt. When are they going to repay that debt back? Now, if we don't allocate time and give them space and resources and, and allow them to do that, then they're going to keep, they're going to burn out. Mm. And so... No one is saying that we have to be fluffy around our employees. I'm the opposite to that. I don't go in there and say, hey, you know, burnout's really bad and why don't we just all slow down and calm down? No, that's not the conversation. Mm. The conversation is we want you going fast. We want you digging in, pushing in. I don't like the word hustle and all that crap, but we want you working hard and fast. But you've got to have the space and capacity to go, I need to step off. Mm. In, In sport. I love a sporting analogy. Let's do it. We periodize training programs into macro, meso, and micro cycles. I know when you're going to perform. I know when the competitions are coming up, and I plan and map everything. I know all the skills, techniques you need. I know how to train them and measure them. I do a measure before and a measure after with a training intervention in between so we can measure Mm -hmm. how much you've improved. Mm -hmm. Great. But why don't we do that in business? Because you're in competition mode all the time mm. 24 hours almost yeah an athlete saw sit on the bench mm. not feeling good let's regress the training load this week when in you know because i get this a lot we want corporate athletes do we do you really okay so allocate a six-week training load and then get them to you know to calm down for two weeks yeah well we can't do that lack of productivity well then you're not serious about it mm. Because you want them to go 110% five days a week. You're lucky. Yeah. Um, with no adequate recovery. Mm. And this whole self piece is relevant because. And that's how you pin your hamstring, right? That's right. When, at my age. Yeah. I pull a heartstring these days. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of bed. <laughs> I, I was walking the other day and I. My, ooh, ooh. My, literally walking down the road, minding my own business. <laughs> And my back like just started yeah. spasming. Someone like, just punched me in the back. Is, it felt like a dagger went through yeah. my back. Like, this is ridiculous. That's a voodoo doll somewhere, my friend. 
Uh, yeah, well, you're right because if, if you think about it, uh, if an athlete, I'm thinking about an AFL footballer right now, athlete pulls up, oh, hang on, early warning sign, my hamstring's a bit tight. Yep. I'm going to have a week off. Yep. I mean, how do we, how do we, how do we use that model in business? Yeah. So, what's the sustainable workload for an individual? Who, who knows? Well, that's what we're mapping. It, well, each individual is different, though. Yeah. Exactly. But is it then? Oh, okay. This opens up a can of worms. So, is it if one individual can do seventy hours a week and the other one can only do thirty hours a week? How do you manage that? And what? Where does fair fairness come into it? Fairness is the key, isn't it? Mm. How do we remunerate that? Mm. So my argument is if that person needs 70 hours a week to do the same job, then that's their, that's a productivity system process issue. Yeah. Um, if they're in sales, so sales is a, a fascinating animal, isn't it? Oh. Because the more hours I put in technically, the more money I earn. Okay, so the, the risk of burnout in sales is huge. Yeah. You know, I'm around the real estate circles. Um, but if you're going to pay me a salary, you got one person who is working the 70 hours to do their job and do it very well, and someone who can't do that, then how are you as a leader going to fix that? And how do we then penalise or promote those individuals? So you're single, you're young, energetic, you're willing to do 70 hours a week to go up the career ladder. I'm middle-aged. Frumpy, I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> uh, I've got children, you know, all the rest of it. I'm not willing to do 70 hours a week for the organization because I want to go home and see my family. Mm. Um, what does that mean? So we're mixing the conversation between, you know, promoting, promoting those who can and demoting those who can't or holding people back or what about my skill set? Energy and effort and hours served versus the experience I've got. Yeah. How do we how do we value that? So it's a it's a tough one to answer from a s- sense of burnout mm. and uh, stress. But inevitably, those people who have got the energy will often climb the ladder quicker. Yeah, until they burn out. <laughs> yeah. Well. Possibly. So going back to the question of the percentage, right, which we never, <laughs> we never got there and you said you got onto your next part of your business. We talk about 100 people, you've tested 100, 100 of these people. Yeah. What would your average be in a percentage-wise of people who are suffering from a form of stress or burnout? Okay. And is there like, you know, I'm thinking of a, of a, a diagram where it's, you know, white, then it goes orange, or green, then it goes orange, then Great. red. Yeah, okay. So we've actually got those. I've got oh. norm values. We've been collecting Brilliant. data from the US, the UK, and Australia. Yeah. And so when I plot, um, I know this is an audio podcast, yeah. so no visuals for people. But what you can imagine is we take five different time point collections. So we take five, five different samples in one day, mm-hmm. and we can plot your cortisol awakening response, what happens in the morning, where that goes to, and then how that comes down and then what it looks like at night. Um, in short, you've got a diurnal pattern and a nocturnal pattern. You've got a day and a night pattern. This is going to lead us down a whole different path, by That's the way. Good. And then we've got the circadian rhythm, which is what most people, this is the body clock piece in the, in the body. Business, 
bites the body clock. Mm. There's one load of stress. So if I look at my body's natural rhythm, I'll wake up, I'll get a huge cortisol spike. Uh, the drivers in the body will start to, to ignite and get the body going. When I measure this in corporates, I want to look at how high that that, or what's the starting point when you wake up? Because you, your first release of cortisol, probably about two or three in the morning, depends on what time you sleep, which is when we all wake up, need to pee, mm. and normally can't go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. That's me every night. Yep. So you're, you've got your first we, release of... Oh, oh. We can talk about that for an hour. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> you hurt your back as you sprint to the toilet. <laughs> I walked into the door. <laughs> so we've got our um, first release of cortisol, probably about two or three in the morning, mm. our third phase of sleep cycle. Once we have that release, the, the systems in the body are starting to be driven. Yeah. Then when I wake up, my eyes open, we get our second release and we get a spike of cortisol. Mm. So we're ready to tackle the day. What I'm measuring is how high that spike is. So if I called it um, here we go again moment, mm. often how I talk to clients, um, your body, you're waking up and you're going, uh-oh, here we go again. And we're getting this huge drive to try and tackle the day and tolerate the day because the stress loads are really high. Is it a here we go again moment of excitement or of a groundhog day? Well, that depends. So I need to contextualize why we're seeing that. I don't want – people often think they want zero cortisol because mm. cortisol is bad, and that's furthest from the truth. Mm. If – so your question was what percentage. So <laughs> <laughs> I see a lot of people who have a high cortisol awakening response in the morning. Yeah. Now, that's completely skewed because the people I work with are leaders, execs, you know, Often I wouldn't get called in to go and work with people who work in, you know, on the forward-facing yeah. part of the business. I often get called into leadership teams. Yeah. Um, however, there's an optimal level of cortisol that we require. I want you to have the drivers on. I want you to get, you know, accelerate into your day because you've got things to do. But I, what I don't want is this huge acceleration and I won't talk about nanomoles and the measurements, but they get this huge acceleration because by lunchtime we get this huge drop. Now, I don't know about you, but when I talk to organizations, they call it um, 2 p.m.-itis or 1 p.m.-itis, mm. where they hit that time of the day and they feel completely knackered. It's a coffee time. It's when you need a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So caffeine, stimulant. Yeah. You're trying to pick yourself back up again. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've lost this energy pathway. Remember, cortisol's primary purpose is to create energy. Mm. But the natural body rhythms means that we get this huge spike and then by lunchtime we get this huge drop. So we've lost the energy pathway. Mm. Then we need to pick ourselves up and we need to try and, oh, how am I going to get through the day? I was sitting in a meeting and someone was falling asleep at 1 p.m. Yeah. And you're going, and... and As is possible. Yeah. Is, have the Italians got it right there when they have their <laughs> mid-afternoon siesta? I am going to deny all. Uh, <laughs> there is no, there is no evidence to suggest, but it is. It's a stimulant. Normally, yeah. we unfortunately we go for caffeine and sugar. Yeah. No, we'll have the the chocolate bar at that time yeah. of the afternoon. Yeah, it's a false stimulant. The idea is not to try and pick yourself up so you can get to the end of your work day. The idea is to suppress the cortisol rise in the morning. Mm. Mm. How do you do that? <laughs> join my program no yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, well 
you've got that um, and just give us a little hint right now. Well, once we work out your your rhythm, your pattern in the body, we can start to work with the body to be able to normalize the pattern so you can function and it's sustainable. Mm. Now that's that's poxy speak, but basically saying if you're spiking too high, you get drops. You're you're on this high low high low. You're at risk because you're Remember what you're doing is you're constantly spending resources to get that high level of cortisol. Mm. Cortisol steel is very real. So we start to steal um, the backbone of hormones. We steal it to prioritize cortisol because cortisol is a hormone. Mm -hmm. So that means all the other hormones in the body are being neglected because our primary um, focus is to create cortisol. Now, if we can reduce your cortisol spike, you'll actually find that your other hormones will start to normalize. Yeah. Hmm. Scenario time again. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the percentage thing yet. <laughs> I want to ask this question, then we can get back into it. Go on. This is like a long-winded TV series where people have to, you know. Stay tuned, the- folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we've got two people parallel universe now. Okay. The exact same person. Big Bang Theory. Exactly. In the same work, like a parallel universe, everything is the same. Their work is the same. Their wife, their kids, their, their husband or wife, their kids, whatever it might be. Mm. The whole life is the same except for their sleeping patterns are oh, different. Man. Okay. So one gets eight hours of sleep, one gets five hours of sleep each night. Mm. Who is at more risk of burnout? And does sleep have that? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, I'm very conscious about how I'm not answering any of your questions today. <laughs> um, to answer your question, who is at more risk of burnout? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's it's the quality of sleep. Uh. So um, certain things are happening in the brain when you allow yourself to get into deep sleep, mm-hmm. and we get if we looked at the first two to three phases or cycles of sleep. That's where the magic happens, if you like. Um, so you can wake up after four, five, six hours worth of sleep and still function. Um, eight hours of being in bed and being asleep but not with poor quality, um, then you're more, you're more at risk. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the percentage. <laughs> Just tell us the answer. What's the percentage? <laughs> um, I would say the majority of my clients would go into a high cortisol state. Uh, there's only been a very small percentage of, let's say, about 15 to 20% that are um, on the verge of burnout. Okay. Because often people think it's a, a cliff. You push, 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 and you fall off, and that's not true. What we'll have is we'll have um, people who remain in high stress states for long periods of time, and their body will slowly just run out of resources. Mm. Um, and so we see emotional regulation starts to drop. We see other functions sleep, and we start to <laughs> physiological functions in the body start to deteriorate. Mm. Stomach headaches. We get the reason why I say early warning signs is I talk about physical, mental, and emotional. How do you know when you're getting stressed? And how do you know um, what are your signs? Grinding your teeth, sweating, um, snapping when you're angry. And it's different for a lot of people. Mm. I'd often, in a workshop, I get people to close their eyes and they, and they 
point when they're stressed. They point or touch their body where they feel the stress. Some people say shoulders. Some people say head. Some people say stomach. Mm. Um, lower back. Chronic pain is associated with mm. stress. Anyways, another. I get I get really anxious. Hmm. Yeah, I, my stomach. I get. I can almost feel those. I don't know if you call them butterflies. Yeah, almost nice, doesn't it? Really, on the butterfly point. Fluffy of view, little butterflies. Yeah, but I when I I know, and then I get that almost brain fog. Yep. I just cannot concentrate. Hmm. Cannot nail something down, or I cannot come to an answer or a conclusion, or yep. give people any form of. So if I explain that to to the general public, mm. um, you've got layers in the brain and then they have arguments, which is really unfortunate. Mm. Where I play is in the limbic or the mammalian brain. So we look at the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the thalamus, and the hippocampus. So I work in the space that regulates sleep, rhythms, energy, or, you know. Um, the brain will prioritize that space that complex inside the brain over your executive function, which is the prefrontal cortex. Mm. That driver, that stress response, if I get into a high stress state, like, oh, my God, and I start to panic or get anxious, um, <laughs> the focus will be on that central part of the brain. So I lose the analytical puzzle solving, even the basic stuff like, Everything we should know. I forgot what cortisol done once when I sat outside a meeting for a big. <laughs> yeah, he introduced introduced me. I don't know. We've got some guy coming in. I don't know what he's going to talk about stress or something. And this was a huge corporation, big boardroom, and I just panicked. I was like, "Oh man, what?" And then I forgot what does cortisol do. And I had to use breath work and slow my mind down to be able to tap back into my executive function, prefrontal cortex. You know. Mm. Um, so yeah, it happens. Absolutely. And we talk about the gut, the heart and the, the brain and, and how they're connected and you know, you're, you've got your instinctive, your emotional and your yeah. logical and, um, yeah, very real when it comes to stress regulation. All right. Scenario time. Again. <laughs> no, no, not scenario time. Um, almost Australianism, right? We're okay. In, we're in Australia and, um. We've got we've got a, a a team member that is um, I'm a leader, and I've got a team member that is what I perceive is suffering as burnout. We're self-diagnosing. This person's in a uh, in a bit of a bit of a struggle. Yeah, go away for a holiday, mate. You'll be right. Yeah, is that a fix for some? Yeah, it can be. So it's a forced reset. Mm. Um, depends how relaxing the holiday is, yeah. to be honest. But uh, disconnecting and getting out of the stressful scenario, if work is the scenario. Um, look, is it a fix? No, because in two weeks' time, you're going to come back into the same boiling pot. If that person's in an environment where they can't cope, whether it be systems breakdown, whether it be I don't know, leadership issues, workplace bully, I don't know, you can go anywhere with that. If it's the workplace that's the cause of the stress, then no. Mm. It's just you're avoiding. No one's dealing with anything. They're just avoiding. And so if I've got someone in a workplace that is highly stressed, I need to understand what it is that's going on for them. It could be external. Mm. They might need support. It could be having a breakup. 
kids could be having trouble at school, taking my mind off things, making work harder. Mm. That doesn't mean it's not important or they shouldn't think about it because they're at work. Um, and that's, that's often the solution that I find. People will use language like I feel stuck, feel boggy is common. Um, I, I, I don't feel like I can keep going. And a simple solution like trying to give someone back some control and can actually be really a really effective way of just giving them some confidence back to go, okay, I've got this. Um, one of the things I talk about on my program or when I work with people who are, often they call me and say, you know, I need to speak to you. And they're already so far gone, <laughs> like it's really difficult. So one of the things I talk about is the non-negotiables. And the first one is just putting your trainers on first thing in the morning. Mm. And I don't say you've got to go run a marathon or anything like that. Just got to put your trainers next to your bed and get them on. Tiny habits. Yep. Yeah. And the reason why I do that is that before I get to that point, they've already told me all the reasons why they don't sleep at night. So they wake, they work, if they wake up or they're in bed and they're knackered mm. and then they don't have time because as soon as they get up, the alarm goes off, they've got, 20 minutes before they've got to get in the car and go. So they give me all these reasons why it won't work. And then what I do is I explain to them about how burning cortisol off in the morning can actually stop that overwhelmed feeling before they get to work. Simple. I'm not saying you have to go and smash a CrossFit session. That's actually complete opposite. Because mm. there's, there's another conversation. People yeah. who are highly competitive go, well, I'm going to go, I'm highly stressed. I'm going to go smash a gym session. Well, actually, you're forcing yourself into it. You're, you're taking longer to recover because mm. you're overreaching on the physiological side. Mm. So, um, yeah, just getting people to try and think about ways in which you can give them some sense of control back is really important. What is there a fine line between um, burnout and giving up? Like, and I, let me, I want to rephrase that. And I don't really know how to ask this without sounding sort of try, I guess. The, I'm one of those people that just keep pushing myself. And I, I know my boundaries, I, might, I know my limits, and I know those early morning signs. And mm. I can manage it. Um, I've never suffered burnout because I believe I can manage and I, I believe I have that ability. Mm. Um, not to say that I might never or whatever, I, I don't know. But I know a lot of I know I know a lot of situations where I've seen people push and they get to a point of being uncomfortable because it's new territory. Yep. Therefore they then say, This is stressing me out, and then they stop. <laughs> yep. And then I always get frustrated with those people because I feel like they've, you know, stopped short of the gold mine, so to speak. Hmm. Um, is there a fine line when you work with leaders and you work with businesses that you see that situation happen a lot where people actually really don't know the boundaries of where they can play? So, no. I don't see that a lot because the people who reach out to me are already – High up, in the, in which the, means they are a certain type of animal. Yeah. Which means they're, you know, they are highly competitive, driven, focused. 
Um, so my conversations with these people are, you know, they overreach mm. and then their performance drops. Okay. So there's one conversation. The other conversation is, yeah, we need people to go through the trenches and to experience what it's like because we're increasing their resilience. They, all, yeah, yeah. All the other things that we, we discuss. And so fitness is a classic. Let's start there. So yeah. when people talk about resilience, they always talk about the mental resilience piece. Like, um, And I don't. I talk about physical resilience. Now, if we talk about resilience, we can get to a cellular level. So your ability to cope with, you know, the demands that's going on right now, it causes changes in the body. Like you get capillarization, you get mitochondrial recruitment or development or, you know, all these things. We start to create more enzymes because we know that we're ready to turn over more energy. Mm -hmm. And that's a simple sporting context where, okay, you start off walking, then you learn to jog and then you learn to run. Mm-hmm. it's the same it's the same on the mental capacity as well i need you to get in there and experience what it's like but i also need to give you space to be able to come off okay get in there work hard but we need to have recovery from that leaders quality leaders understand this and give and allocate time for their teams to be able to do that let's go in let's work bloody hard let's support each other let's step off let's take a break catch our breath let's go again we're going back in and we've got this rhythm going almost a sprint recovery rhythm yeah um look there's a whole conversation in there about how we change the the flow and rhythm of business and how we can use that to then allow our people to be able to experience adapt recover and push harder um and i use the sporting context or even the fitness context because it takes time for mm. people to learn that muscle and not everyone is into it. I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. I just want to, I just want to do my job and go home. Yeah. Great. Then we've got a role for you. Perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. and I almost appreciate that. Yeah. But then we've got those people who, this is always my fear. The people who really want it, who really want to push, but burn out and then get chucked out the other side. Yeah. I, I believe that's totally unfair. And one of my big things is, okay, so they just didn't have the right support mechanisms around them. They had all the right, they were bloody good for your team. There'd be an absolute talent inside your organization, but they burnt out. Mm. We kick them to the curb. Next. No, no, no. What about these people? Mm. If we'd have just not allowed that to happen, you would have an awesome person in your team right now. And so I can't help everyone. I get it. Some people just don't want to be leaders and i get that i appreciate that some people are quite content and but those who do want it we need to protect them Mm. and if we can identify the emerging talent inside our organization and nurture and support them to be able to push hard understand the rules put strategies in place to give them the self-awareness to stop that burnout and that overwhelm we know this people are overwhelmed and burnt out the performance drops so they're no good to us anyway. They're, in fact, they're negatively impacting our organizations. So I don't know why leaders wouldn't do this. Mm. And then, you know, where do we go? Is it a time issue? Is it a money issue? Is it a, um, 
lack of understanding and educational gap. I don't know the answers to that either. Do you know when you do your testing and you either the facial recognition or the saliva test, either or? Mm. It's not facial recognition. That's sorry, like the, Big Brother stuff. Uh, sorry, yeah. The we're using camera tech. Camera tech, I should say. It's on the face, though, isn't it? <laughs> you can in the feet. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Wilson. Would you just come with us, please? <laughs> That's right. So, all right, using technology, thank you, and saliva, um, saliva kits, the in the way that you would um, review leaders, people, whoever. Is, is having these tests, is it situational and scenario-based? Is it a, a particular point in time? Does it change as they grow, go up the ladder? So you get an emerging leader, you take some tests, you go, right, this is the way we need to manage this emerging leader for mm. the next how long? Like what does that look like until mm. there's more and more stress placed on it? Do things change? Do, Always. Yeah. It's like markets change, people change, I don't know. This emerging leader, let's say it's a young man or woman that we recognise as amazing and we want to allow them to, to move up in the organisation. No, they get married, they have mm. children, life changes. Mm. Um, what we can do is we can give them the tools and the self-awareness. I keep using that word purposefully. It's no one else's responsibility but yours. And when people feel trapped that they can't make a choice for themselves, they lose that control mm. because of fear. I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my security, uh, and we overreach, then that's, that for me is the biggest barrier we face right now, mm. is how do we empower people to, to be able to take control of their decision-making? Working from home has been great for that. No one is watching me or standing over me. The flip side of that is people are overreaching to justify their pay packet. Mm. We know the boundaries have got, and I do get it, I see it a lot. So. You know, we need to allow people to either come back to the office um, because being at home is actually a stressor for people mm -hmm. versus people who are going, oh, it's great at home. I can sit in my pajamas and, you know, I still get my work done. Yeah, I'm not driving two hours a day. Yeah, the, I'm not losing time in yeah. the commute. Um, so there's You're an interest. Washing a lunch break. Well, that's, that's right. Go to my favorite cafe. Yeah, watch Netflix in the back. No, we <laughs> yeah, no, but people are being just as but so here lies a here lies a, an interesting conversation. You're just as productive at home than you are in the office, but you're doing it in five hours. Yeah, I right? agree. There lies an issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I won't go there. It's not mine. No, <laughs> no. So do you, do you pay people for the full eight hours in? Yeah. You won't go there. Or what see. were you doing at the office? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's those. You can't take away the, uh, I'm going I'm to use the word brilliance of being in a room where people are talking and chatting and there's a conversation going on about a piece of work where your ears prick up and you've got this experienced person talking about this scenario of what they did with their client or whatever it might be or how mm. they handled a situation. And you can learn from that just off the cuff. Mm-hmm. There is something in that which is brilliant and that's what I love the work from home and I agree that you with you that like I am so much more productive in my office at home than what mm. I am in the office at work. Mm. However, when I'm in the office with work and I know and I've seen this across the board of all, even with all our clients, those 
water cooler conversations or whatever they might be, mm. the amount of learning that you can get from them and off the cut or, or potential situations which have been avoided because there's this conversation. No, 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 don't do that. I've already spoken to this, yeah, this yeah. person, this person, this person. Yeah. Um, it, that's lost. Yeah. There's, so there's, there's this fine line there. There's two things that have really stood out for me with working from home. One is I'm not getting the cues. Yeah. So um, you're my boss, you're my leader, you're my um, confidant. Mm-hmm. Um, I get cues. Hey, nice work. Or I get that. Oh yeah, you know Chris is doing really well. Or pat in the back. Whatever it might be. Or I can see you smile at me. There's there's lots of different ways in which we pick up cues. Your energy in the room tells me stuff. I don't get that at home. So I then create scenarios in my head about what I think is going on. You send me a text. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Daniel's moody. I need I, to do more. Have I done something wrong? Yeah. And so we overreach. Mm. I've got a make sure that I'm online, always available. I've mm. got to make sure that they see that I'm doing a really good job. Yeah. And it's not just a matter of being present in an office anymore. It's justified by your KPI, your numbers. Oh. The amount of people I've heard say I feel guilty when I'm working from home. Yeah. Because it's that exact feeling. So um, communication flow is one of the – or even a communication agreement because we – We've got this idea that we need to respond immediately because someone else is waiting for us. Mm. And the other one is I need to be available whenever someone needs me. Yeah. And, and that's not doable. No. And it's unrealistic where people are now working. I see I work with people who work across different time zones. Yeah. So they're doing their normal working day and then getting up at 2 in the morning to join in with the Teams meeting because it's US or, you know, wherever it might be. And there's no, there's, there's no understanding about what the limits are to people's availability. And that working from home has almost exaggerated that because you need to be in every meeting and be present because otherwise your brain will create scenarios around, oh my God, they might think I'm not there or I'm not interested or this isn't true. But. Mm. So this communication um, requirement, I call it an agreement because it needs to be agreed, a communication flow. Um, don't contact me during these time, this time of the day because I'm doing this, this or this is family time or whatever rules you want to put in place. Put your boundaries in place. Yeah. Otherwise, we're always available at all times for everyone and it's not sustainable. It's hard work. Hmm. They're going in a different direction. Okay. The, we see in sport, using sport, AFL, we saw it in NFL, there's even a movie about it, Concussion where players have got concussions in, in everyday sport. Um, especially if we're seeing so many cases come back now where AFL players have got headaches. We saw a law case in, in America based on the NFL where players were paid out millions purely because of these concussions and the, the, uh, the, the, the documents were sort of hidden. And, and the, the now there's millions and millions of dollars being paid out to these players. Yeah. Do you fear that that could be a scenario for businesses with burnout in the sense that if someone suffers from burnout today in 2021, that in five years' time or 10 years' time or 15, whatever that time period looks like, they're, Mm. they're having relapses and they can pinpoint it back to 2021. Do I fear it? No. Um, I'm building a business on it. Oh, you are. 
Mm. So I'm talking to Return to Work, Workers' Comp. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm trying to determine is that where, where does liability sit? Mm. And what I know is that stress and fatigue are, you know, we're talking about 5 to 7% of claims are stress-related according to Return to Work or work safe, sorry. Um, stress is only mental according to their write-ups, their copy. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a mental issue, mm-hmm. which is, in my opinion, wrong. Mm-hmm. However, seven to t- uh, seven to, uh, 5 to 7% or 7% to 10% of claims, sorry, 7 to 10% of claims, um, five years ago, but now the Victorian government and the New South Wales government are putting in this business levy to tackle what is coming. So when I was talking to the uh, workers' comp percent at work, the trajectory of stress-related claims they imagine will go through the roof. And so if businesses aren't trying to tackle stress in the workplace, their premiums will go up because they're more, they're more of an at-risk business. Mm. Then we put a high-stress, high-risk environments. So the biggest claims at the moment, stress-related, are uniform services, social, wor- or social workers and um, all those people who give up their time to keep us safe and support us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can see the corporate entities now that are having to put systems in place to try and tackle this. Chronic stress load creates chronic illness. That's not... I used to work in cardiac rehab, so... We know this. Now, if we can start to do historical claims like concussion in sport, how am I going to protect myself now in case someone comes back and says, you put me under undue stress, you um, forced me to do A, B, and C, you didn't support me when I was going through this phase. Um, And that's why I'm trying to collect data based upon your current stress state. Mm. How is that possible to pinpoint it just on the business if there are so many other factors? Yeah. So is business just to blame? Yeah. No. Can business support people? Yes. So I don't know the answer where liability sits yet. All I know is that um, the way claims are changing and the way we, you know, once we set this precedence with concussion, where do we go? Mm. Anyone that's had headaches, anyone that's not felt great since they stopped playing for your club. And then where do we go? Do we go just the elite sports players or do we go all the way down through the, you know, I play for my heading in soccer. Mm. Where do you want to go? Yeah. So they're now, they've done their first couple of games where they've, there's been no heading allowed and they've reduced heading in training. But what about the last oh, 50 years of mm. people playing soccer and, hopefully are still alive are they going to claim so we're in this funny space all i know is that if you don't have data sets to understand what your people are going through ignorance is not the answer it's not my fault i didn't know so it's interesting you've asked me this question because right at the beginning i said to you i often get people going i don't want to know Mm. so okay not knowing isn't the answer ignorance not bliss yeah yeah I know of a scenario where, and this is in government, um, where a particular individual 
took stress leave mm-hmm. and was off for 12 months. How, how, how does that – how is that at fo- the business fault for someone being on stress leave? Like why does the business need to wear that cost hmm. or even holding that person's position for 12 months plus? That's right. So what's the question is why do they? Well, because employment is, law. Yeah. How does, how does that even happen? I mean – Clearly, after twelve months, it's not the job that's causing the stress. Well, is it? Has it taken them twelve months to recover? Well, yeah, that's the other question. Yeah, and I don't know this scenario. Yeah, no. But if I was to say um, the idea is to stop people from getting to that point, mm-hmm. but then was it? And again, I'm not asking the question because I don't want to know the details. But if it was bullying or something along those lines, harassment in the workplace then is the business at fault? The answer is yeah. So how long does that person take to recover? Depends on how severe it was. And, you know, it's impossible to put, well, you've gone through burnout, so we'll give you two weeks off. Because some people could probably get back on track in maybe not two weeks, but in a short space of time. Yeah. Others may never recover. Okay. Because they can't get back on top of it. Okay. It's traumatic. So there's not, there isn't an average. Well, there, well, is, there because, is an average, but yeah. Because in average business, we need. Yeah. But well, if you go back to that harassment part, this, again, I go back to the two people scenario. One, mm. that same leader is treating two people exactly the same. One sees it as bullying and the other one's like, it's banter. Like, mm. where, where does that. Um, Anyway, that's a HR issue. Yeah, but that's it, a, yeah, yeah, you're taking me down a horrible path. Here. No, I know. I, <laughs> I don't I, know the answers. It's just, uh, it really, I, I fear for some of these business leaders because they're, you know, they're, everyone's trying their best. Like yeah. we work with leaders on a day to day basis. They're all trying their best. They're, they're, they're doing their best with what they've got. Yeah. And, and it's not their sole role. Yeah. That people don't have just a role to understand your, need, your needs, your feelings. And that's situational as well. So you may, you know, things have been accumulating. You might wake up in a bad mood, mm. and I'm supposed to be empathetic and understand your needs and wants, and I have to change your day based upon. And it's impossible for me to manage that. Yeah, because then I'm at a whim, aren't I? Of, of very reactive to whatever side of the bed Daniel wakes up on. Yeah, and that's the worst case scenario because leaders don't do anything because they just focus on trying to please people. And we can't do it. It's not sustainable. I need to be able to manage myself. I'm, I'm back to here again. Um, you managing me about whether I need time off or whether you're going to allow me time off to be able to get my head straight is a really difficult conversation because, well, I'm doing all right, so why aren't you? Mm. You're doing the same job as Daniel. He's traveling fine, so what's your problem? If you can't hack it, why don't you just get out? You know, we're here. Oh, it's horrible to hear, but it goes on a lot. Mm. Oh, God, Chris is slacking again. Mm. Well, okay, is Chris lazy or is Chris really struggling? Have you taken the time? How do we know? Mm. Um, and inside of that, there's cultural, there's, there's all these other conversations we can need to have around this. My job is to just map and measure the current stress state of individuals mm. because that gives us almost like a heat map about what's going on. If it's systemic, 
then we can have one conversation. If it's individuals, if it's, you know, then we can work with individuals. If it's department, is it, I don't know, systems and processes that are breaking down, inefficiencies, mm. is there roadblocks within the organization? So breaking down the heat maps of stress inside an organization gives us very valuable insights. Mm. And what we do is we do generic and blanket. Like we're all going to do this. No, they don't need that. They, they're, they're okay. Why don't you spend less money and more, um, not succinct, but more directed value and information to this group here because that's what they need. Mm. And so, you know, efficiency, cost. Oh, what, what's not a fix? Like, you, you know, running a two-hour resilience masterclass. No, it's relevant, but you'll only, you'll only ever impact a small percentage of the room. Mm. So uh, I'm, people are going to hate me for this, yeah. but, you know. Go for it. I will. Um, asking someone to come in like me and to do a two-hour workshop and with no follow-up and no engagement after. It's a checkbox. Yeah. What are we doing? Mm. You've just forgotten what I said as soon as you left the room. Yeah. So then we start talking about programs. Like how do we get in and work with teams ongoing? Why don't we do, why don't you pay me a retainer and I'll manage the stress and well-being of your teams? That's an option. But people go, ah, oh, it's a bit of a disruption and HR have got that covered. Okay. Oh. But do they? Yeah. I work with HR groups. I'm working with networks and associations in HR because right now they're medical experts. They're uh, IR, ER gurus. Mm. Um, and these are even generalist HRs that are now being thrown into the whole yeah. boiling pot of, right, I want half my workforce over there. I want the other half over there. They're not allowed to come in. They need to be in. What rules are we setting? And it's ever-changing. Mm. And I'm watching HR teams and you'd know no they're crying out for help yeah we are coming to the end of the podcast we always ask a few quick quiet questions at the end but i want to ask you one last question before we do that if there was any low-hanging fruit for people who are listening right now that they can manage their stress with what would what would your suggestion be? Um, the first thing I get people to do on my program is look at um, five arenas of life. So the five arenas, arenas of mm. life. And so I start to look at you as a whole person, mm -hmm. rather than just a colleague or a worker, or just a father or just a mother. And we start to look at. You know, what are your parents, what were your parents' behaviors in that arena? So finance, health, personal development, and career. My last one, love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most important one, I yeah, forgot yeah. it. Oops, sorry. <laughs> um, so repeat them, finance? Yeah, finance, career, personal development, health, and love. Mm -hmm. Now, love is not just who you love. Love is passion and joy and, and all those things yeah. as well. Some people say they're dog. Yeah. I find weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so low-hanging fruit. 
I get people, I don't care how they do it. Some people do spreadsheets, some people do A4, flip chart, whatever it is that they want. And they start to look at, right, on the left-hand side of the page, write down your parents' behaviors in that arena. You know, you might have a mum and a dad, and they both got completely different. doesn't matter. Just write that down. Then write down your behaviors now in that arena. And then what is the future you look like in that arena? What behaviors do you want to you know, incorporate to make you a better person, to be your whole self? Mm. And the reason why I do that is very conflicting. Mm. And it draws emotion. I need emotion in any, in order to create behavior change, we need to get emotional about it. Um, I do, I won't give it all away. I do a piece with a measuring tape mm-hmm. and people always get upset because we work out that life's very short mm. and we don't like to, you know, we don't like to acknowledge that. No. And so the low-hanging fruit for me is just take a snapshot of, you know, the parent piece is about triggering, mm. not negative emotion. It's triggering, oh, yeah, dad used to talk about this or mum. These are the habits I've picked up. Yeah. And then this is me now. This is what I've adapted to. And then who do I need to be? And sometimes it's small changes, small shifts. You know what? I, I really wish I could sleep better. Mm. Okay. Let's start there at least. Or I really wish, you know, I used to love running, but I just don't, I don't do it anymore. Okay, let's start to look at movement again. Mm. And, um, and all we're looking to do is empowering people to make small decisions. Mm. So there's the low-hanging fruit. I love it. I, um, I've done, I think I've just done that naturally growing up. I've always just looked at my parents and gone, what are they doing that I could do better or <laughs> improve on yeah. or what frustrates me about the way yeah. they go about something and yeah. how do I improve on that? I'm an example of how you are not a slave to your parents. Yeah. Um, all this, you know, you, I end up sounding like my mum sometimes, like when I tell my daughter to tidy up her room. And, yeah. Um, but, you know, I can make a promise to myself that I will be better at A, B, and C. And I thrive. I strive towards being better at being a dad or, mm. you know, being a better partner or, you know, being more emotional, which I, apparently I'm emotionally dull, um, according to my wife. <laughs> yeah. Or numb. I'm emotionally numb. Numb. Mm. What's that mean? How do you. I don't know. She's just. No, yeah, it's yeah. I don't care if the. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just. No. She's all right. Okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. We'll get on with it. Your daughter's upset. Okay, so that's could be good. Yeah, the world's not ending. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I hope you. Oh, we could talk about that for about two hours. I think. Radio, quick fire questions. Okay. And they are never quick fire. <laughs> so if we answered any questions today, I don't know. No, we'll be right. Okay. I think we got. Yeah, I think we did. Okay. As long as we're adding some value. We talked about some really powerful stuff. So okay. I don't I think with the um in the ambiguity of it all and every scenario is different and every person has their own starting base. I yeah. think to answer one question, whether it's black or white, is too difficult. There's, yeah. there's so much grey. So Well, that's the hardest part. We want we want the magic pill, like I mm. said before. Is it Chris is it A or B? Oh, I, I don't know. No. And being a scientist as well, it's kinda of, well, depends. Well, depends. Yeah. It's an A. It could be an A today, but tomorrow it could be a B. Yeah. Really and how do we measure that? Yeah. And how do we? Yeah. Anyway, quick fire. Quick fire. What What are you reading right now? 
Ah, uh, I've got a beautiful um, Risk Starts With People. Beautiful book by Lisa Sisson. Um, Risk Starts With People. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a book that was sent to me so I could read it and give my opinion piece on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, great. Mm. Your opinion piece on the burnout element of risk. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really about, you know, it's a practical piece. And so it's not like a fiction. It's it's very much yeah, about yeah. these are the things we believe and this is where it starts and, yeah. and this is where the risk sits in business. Uh, so I'm really enjoying yeah. plugging her book. If you could recommend a book for people around stress, burnout, self-development or improvement in this space, what would you recommend? Uh, why zebras don't get ulcers. Okay. Why zebras don't get ulcers. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the uh, chronic stress um, is very much a human. It's a human issue. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, we like to project and forward think or we ruminate about the past. Yeah. We have guilt and all these other emotions that, that really hold us back. And um, we don't have worry. In The other mammals in the world don't have worry. Oh. Apes do, sorry, that's not true. Yeah. Um, but why zebras don't get ulcers is because they don't have chronic stress load. They're just going on about their business. Just do their day. Live in the moment. Apart from when a hippo jumps out of the water and tries to eat one. Then it's shit, we better run. Yeah, that's right. Then if all their same process as us, the fight or flight response comes so in. So you're telling me that a zebra is not worried about that hippo jumping out? No, they don't think about it. At all? Well, they know it's there. And they just... But they don't sit there like... Okay, so... Well, I'm not going to go drink because there's... A exactly right. There. I need that water. So there's an override, isn't there? So I know that if I... There's a risk of me dying if I go for a drink, but I've got a drink. Oh, oh we could go anywhere <laughs> with that, can we? Why didn't we talk about this for an hour? I'll start <laughs> off with that question from now on. Um, what's one lesson? This is a Brene Brown question. So okay. And I'm, I admit this because it's bloody good, so I'm going to ask it. What's one lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Um, what you know today will be irrelevant tomorrow. Blue pill, red pill, right? Mm. <laughs> yep. And um, and I was trying to answer people's questions. <laughs> Funny enough, I haven't, you know, in a podcast scenario, yeah. but um, I was trying to solve and answer everyone's questions. But the complexity of people means that um, I've had to learn to look at larger groups of people as opposed to, you know, just working with solving everyone's Problems individually. Yeah. yeah. So what you know today will be irrelevant tomorrow. Mm. Let me, can I contextualize that? Yeah. My business today is nothing like it started five years mm. ago. Like I told you, like I was yeah. in the back of my room. Yeah. And even last night, I was on a Teams meeting until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And the information that's coming out of that has blown my mind. So today I'm in a completely different scenario. Mm. And it's exciting. Yeah. But it's constantly changing. What blew your mind? Oh, the way in which we can, the information we can get, the tech we can use, how we can layer that data to give insights. Um, yeah. So Chris Wilson, the scientist, has yeah. gone tech on us. Yeah, I had to in the end. Mm. No, I mean, it's the way. I mean, with AI. 
let's utilize it, right? So we can start. Oh God, don't, no, no. Just, I, I announced it on no, LinkedIn. Just do it. Just I, go well, on, I announced like, it on LinkedIn that I've joined. I've got this platform development, got a partnership going on. Yeah. And so we're using um, data sets now, where we can then start to do risk stratification, which I've said before. But we can do environmental stress, so we can put sensors in rooms. We can start to look at physiological. Then we can do risk stratification around your risk of cardiovascular disease. Then we've got electronic health records uploading. Uh, we've now got solutions where you don't need to go to a clinic. So I used to work in remote telehealth mm. for cardiac. Someone who lives an hour and a half away from a clinic has to drive in to get their vitals done. They can now sit at home. And, and you look at this, I go, whoa. But the implications of this now are phenomenal. So my business as of yesterday compared to what my business can deliver today has changed. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We've had a couple of podcasts and I've mentioned him a few times, Dr. Terry Sweeney. Mm. I need to meet him for a coffee. You do. Terry? Yeah. Reach out. (laughs) Like an intro. Yeah. because the AI stuff they're doing in the digital health world is unbelievable. Yep. It's, uh, it was, he's the CEO of Digital Health CRC. They're, they're doing some amazing stuff. We've got Matthew Michaelwitz who's been on this show as well. He runs a company called Complexica, which is all about AI. Yep. And you just see uh, – and we actually had a um, podcast with Matthew about the rise of AI and what that looks like. Yep. Um, you know, Thomas Mitchell from Biombank, they're, they're the drug producing company for, for gut ulcers and stuff like that, utilizing AI in their, in their work as well. I think for me, it just makes sense if you're going down that and you can collect data. Hmm. For you, it, it, it just makes sense that if you're gathering that information on a larger scale and utilizing it from an environmental point of view, yep. you could give some really excellent. Um, and I have to be, you know, I'm very clear. I, it's all stress related for me. Hmm. Um, I don't want to. No, I, I, don't want to go medical or anything like that. Yeah, but, absolutely. But the, the my big thing. Yeah, I've got lots of big things. Yeah. Uh, the interdisciplinary approach. So at the moment we've got lots of multidisciplinary. So yeah. you've got problem with your head, go see a psych. You've got yeah. problem with your gut, go and see a dietitian. Or mm. and and I just look at this and go. Still today, we don't communicate. There is still this fractured, even in sport, the athlete is the center of what we're trying to achieve here in their performance. And yet the physios don't talk to the performance coaches, don't talk to the nutritionist. It's all segregated. Mm, siloed. Yeah. It's and the if, same business. Yeah. And I still see it today. And I, I assume that even big businesses have got this sorted out. And I no. go inside and I go, this is ridiculous. Yeah. The bigger they are, the more siloed they are. Yep. There is a company that we work with that is 200,000 people strong and you ask anyone in that business who's in charge of this and they go, oh, i got no idea. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah, you could speak to this person, this person and you, literally 16 people I've spoken to and I still haven't hit the right person yet. Yeah. It is. What very, a waste of everyone's time. Well, it's, I think, it, but I mean, they're very, very, they're doing very, very well. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not about success. Yeah. yeah no, well, that's it's not right. That. Yeah, I know. But it is, it is just one of those companies that, you're, yeah, it's just hard to really difficult to manage. Mm. Mm. So now, the to the point is that this the data sets. We've got to be careful because one of the big conversations I'm I'm trying to navigate 
is that how do I protect you and your data from the organization or anyone outside the organization using that against you? Yeah. So when we start to talk about stress, are we leaving people vulnerable because of their data? Mm. And that's the key thing that I'm, I'm very adamant about in everything that I do and everything we create is your data set and the alerts and the notifications have to. Yeah. Well, that, that goes back to that question I asked you before. Do you start hiring people based on their, their mm. risk burnout profile or whatever it might be? If you have that data, potentially could people put people at risk of not getting work? Yeah, that's right. People might say, I'm, well, businesses might go, I'm not. I'm not hiring. You're, yep. you're too much in the red for me, and that completely contradicts what you're trying to do. Yep, which yeah. is protect people. Yeah. Next question. Is oh yeah, sorry. Quick yeah. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> if you could invite three people to dinner, who would you invite? And I'm just going to say, let's assume your wife is already invited. Okay. She wasn't going to get invited anyway. <laughs> should, I got you. I gave you a get out oh, of jail. Oh, sorry. Freak. Sorry. We can edit that out. See all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is this thing on? Hello? <laughs> Three people. Three people. Um, Huberman. Huberman. Andrew Huberman. Yes. Um, Why Andrew Huberman? Oh, he's a neuro Stanford yep. lecturer. His content online, it's all YouTube. Yeah. Probably an hour and a half to two hour videos on each. Mm. Um, just fascinating. And I like it because. What's he specializing? Neuroscience. Neuroscience, yeah. Yeah. So there's one. Yeah. Um, Sapolsky, because I've heard him speak. So he wrote the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Okay. And he would go out and live with the, the apes and the gorillas okay. and, and, you know. Um, just because he's mad, he yeah. looks mad, and, and would be a lot of fun. It'd be a good conversation. Yeah, that's right. Who's my third person? I would invite. Um, I'm, I'm going down lots of different avenues. Frank Lampard, <laughs> Chelsea, great. Get in there. Yeah, yeah. I'd sit with. Him. Yeah, well, wouldn't you? Superstar. If you had access to a time machine. Where would you go? Future. Yeah. Is that what you mean? That's or does it I mean. have to be past? No, absolutely doesn't because I wouldn't go back. Um, yeah, I'm excited about I'm not – I don't dwell on the past mm. and I don't um, have regret and guilt and all those things. I just uh, – mainly because I had to train myself and it is a skill, so I had to train it. Um, it's a waste of energy. Mm. And so I'm all about energy efficiencies mm -hmm. and, and, and I just have to really be brutally honest about the fact that learn, what I've learned from the past is absolutely 100% relevant, but dwelling and ruminating and guilt and regret are a waste of my time and I don't have a lot of time to give, so I don't waste it. So I'd you like to, need a time machine now. Well, I'm going to go to the future and look at the exciting stuff that's ahead yeah. of us. How far ahead? Uh, not far. Yeah. Still, so it's relevant for me. So yeah. I'd still do the um, maybe fifty years. Yeah. I might be dead then. Yeah. If you had a crystal ball and you knew you're still alive, crystal balls and time machines. Yeah. This is where are we going? <laughs> Anywhere we like. <laughs> no stress here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
if you had one superpower, one superpower, um, what would it be? If you sorry, well, if you could have one superpower, what what would it be? Um, interesting. Can I tell you a story? You can. Um, Quick fire, but you can. Oh yeah, tell. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting around the lake in New Zealand, three people travelling. We asked this very same question, yeah. and I answered. I'd like, one said he'd like to be invisible to watch um, people when they're naked, which is really weird. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very scary. But uh, I said healing hands. Healing hands? Yeah, so I'd like to have the power of healing through the hands. Oh. This was 20 years ago now, yeah, yeah. maybe longer, um, which led me on my way to become a therapist. So Yeah, great. So – that came true for me or my superpower. Would you say that is it like the moment you touch anything it heals or is it like an activated thing it turns on? Are we, are we talking about the detail of the yeah, superpower absolutely. now? absolutely. I'm really interested in this. No, I think healing should resonate rather than just a one-touch heal. Okay. Because if it resonates, I impact those around me as opposed to just the one person in front of me. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> Can you heal th- can you can you heal people's thoughts or is it just a physical thing? Uh, do you think they're separate? No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what is a thought? It's not physical. What dictates a thought? Like emotion. What is emotion? It's just a chemical. It's just a series of… Yeah, okay. All right, we need another hour. Um, we're going to skip to the next question. Okay. Healing with your hands. and that, So that's led to where you are today, that one superpower question. Yep. That's amazing. Still trying to protect and heal. It sounds poxy saying it out loud, but I don't even have – it's not on a mission statement or it's not my purpose or anything like that. It's just something I always end up falling into, whether it be personal training was about, you know, it's not about running marathons. It was always about getting people to improve and develop and traveling with the squads. It was never really about winning matches. It was about supporting those young men and women who were – going through that development yeah i used to travel with the soccer squads yeah and um and then setting up no ju- frank lampards though oh there's plenty yeah not everyone makes it no very small percentage what level did you travel with state yeah okay um yep beautiful excellent right last question <laughs> <I'm trying> to <laughs> stop talking last question what's your best dad joke um oh am i allowed to say it yes no is it a dad joke <laughs> All right, I'm going to say it because it's just my favorite. A blind man walks into a supermarket and he's swinging his guide dog around his head. Shop assistant says, excuse me, sir, what on earth are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just having a look around. (laughs) Brilliant. That's it. It's going in the kit bag. (laughs) That could possibly be the best dad joke we've had on the show. We've had 50-odd episodes. That's the best one yet. I don't know if that's a dad joke. It's a bit, yeah. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, good. I, well, because it's if not, you get upset, call Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Thank you very much for your time today, Chris. It's been a, an amazing chat. We, I think, we've gone down a few rabbit holes. We've oh. come back up, and we've got there eventually. But we're—I yeah. uh, well, don't think we actually had a destination. We've just no um, planning on talking and learning a little bit more about stress, the body, understanding ourselves and where we're off to. Thank you for all the work that you're doing out there in the world and helping mm. people through this. I think it's definitely an area of need mm. um, and I hope to see your business flourish because people, yeah, I think people need help and businesses need to at very least understand 
what is happening with their people in this space. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love having these moments to be able to, you know, just verbalize and, and share. And mm. because the way your brain works and the, and the way your thought process, I've got my own version of what I think people need and want. Mm. And then when you speak to people, you understand, oh, that's how they perceive that. And that's yeah. what they're really interested in. When I first started my business, people often say to me, your, your language is so technical. Mm. How, how do I understand it? Mm. And that was a, a big learning curve for me. Yeah. So put it in layman's terms. These Any cl- plans for a book or anything like that? I've already got the name of my book. Yeah? What's that? Oh, can I share? Oh, it's up to you. Uh, push, push, break. Ah, yes. Nice. It's already, like it's already in it's there. On, it's in the works. Oh, has been for years, man. <laughs> takes time yeah excellent thank you very much where can we find you uh stress hyphen scientist.com is the website so www um linkedin's the most active profile for me yeah so chris wilson the stress scientist stress scientist yeah you'll Good. see my beautiful uh black and white um, james bond picture yeah go and check it out you did all right Scrub well i was actually freezing my but that's okay (laughs) brilliant thanks again uh chris we really appreciate your time and thank you everyone for uh, listening in we'll catch you next time yeah thank you cheers thanks for listening to the podcast all you can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au i am going to ask though if you did like the podcast it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe rate and review And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.